Hello, I'm Tyson Day, and welcome to the Careers Perspectives with Palladians, a podcast series where we interview Palladians who have an inspiring career and dive deep into their work and understand specifically what is involved in their chosen industry. In this episode, we speak with Kirsten Day, an architect, lecturer, and design enthusiast. Kirsten shares her insights on her journey in the design world with a focus on architecture and the process of becoming a qualified architect. This episode is for anyone who is wanting to explore the world of design and especially architecture. Hope you enjoy. McRobb, Arrive and Thrive, and our guest would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders, past, present, and emerging. Kirsten Day, welcome to the podcast. How are you going? Really good. I um, am in need of some more coffee, but um, otherwise, yeah, it's a great day for a Thursday. Perfect, perfect. And Kirsten, for all of our listeners, could you share with them what you do and what's your profession and, and what you're currently involved in? Yeah, so um, at the moment, um, <laughs> it, it, and it's funny that I have to preface with, with at the moment. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm a lecturer in um, technology and practice at the University of Melbourne, and I'm in the School of Architecture. Um, and so on one hand, I, I'm an academic. Um, on the other hand, I still am registered as an architect and still have um, some work that I do in practice. So... Um, yeah, so it's sort of like a, yeah, the hybrid or the slashy part academic, or we call them pracademics, I guess <laughs> I is love probably that a better, better word for it. Yeah, great. And please take us through the, the journey of how you became an architect, because I think a lot of young people are quite fascinated with that profession specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, well, when I was at McRobb, um, every year I would change what it was that I wanted to do. And I think there's that terror of um, thinking this decision is, is to, where I go to university, what I do, um, all of this is going to have, you know, this is my life. And I think with that, yeah, it was always, what is it that I can do? And someone said, well, why don't you try architecture? And I was went, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And then sort of thought about it and thought, oh, but I haven't done, I, like I changed all my subjects and so I wasn't doing maths. Um, which I now curse the day that I didn't choose maths because that's exactly what I have to teach people now. <laughs> so, yeah, karma, it sort of comes back later on. But uh, there were a couple of um, universities that took in portfolios. And so, um, yeah, I, I applied and, and got in on a first round offer So um, for RMIT, which was, which was great. And it probably took about another two years. So architecture is a, was there in a five-year course. Um, it's now sort of split into a three plus two to match in with a lot of the other undergraduate and master's courses. Um, and there was that sort of horror of going into a five-year course thinking, is this actually really what I want to do? Mm. Um, because then the, the ability to move between um, different degrees um, wasn't as fluid as it is now. So it was, um, yeah, so I spent the first couple of years thinking, oh, you know, should I be doing this or should I be doing photography? And then I went to, I met up with um, some friends who was able to get me some work um, at the Ministry of Housing. And so I spent my summers doing that. 
And then with the recession, and that's sort of one of the joys of architecture is we're so dependent upon the economy. Yeah, most people were sort of going off to Hong Kong, Singapore and Bangkok. And so I was lucky to spend um, some time in Hong Kong as a student architect. And it's probably there where I decided, yeah, this is actually what I want to do. And um, yeah, it was, it was lots of fun. We, um, they were doing hotels and resorts. I was the student who got stuck in the office looking after the library and hear of all these adventures because it, I guess that's the one thing about architecture is you're not, um, you're not really bound to a particular place. And so you can travel and particularly a lot of our buildings now uh, have international teams of designers working on them, whether they're architects or engineers or uh, people who specialize in acoustics or mechanical engineering. Um, um, yeah, there's or facade design, interior designers. Um, yeah, there's it's it's exciting. Yeah, totally. So take us back when you were a student architect and yep. then when you were progressing through that process, what does a typical day look like as an established architect? Okay, so is so that back in when I was an architect? Um well, it depends. Yeah, so you could be on site and uh, there were many mornings where I was in Geelong, we were doing primary schools. And so I would be at site at seven o'clock in the morning um, talking football for half an hour because if you couldn't talk about the cats and how they went on the weekend, there was no way the builders were going to listen to you talk about brickwork or, um, you know, set out points and yep, things yep. like that or we were also doing some work in Melton so you could be in some really interesting spaces mm. um, then it was a matter of then looking at what deadlines were coming up um, organizing teams so the, there wasn't really sort of a nine to five it mm. was um, really sort of looking at what are upcoming projects um, where are the deadlines what teams are working on those having a look at and it's there's, um, there's a lot of logistics to it, um, ensuring that, you know, the engineers' documents are coming through, um, have we got our specifications and schedules. So it really, it's, it, there's a lot of project management that, that goes into that. Um, and I guess it's pretty much the same as academia now. It's, um, again, just looking at deadlines and sort of packages of information. Um, it's just... Um, yeah, just a little bit more interesting in sort of COVID times. Mm. It's it's a really good point because I think when you're in that type of space, it's like an architect. Um, mm -hmm. You, it's one thing to come up with the design concept and to come up with the the process of which the of which the project will will go, and but then it's another to communicate that to manage mm. the the challenges that arise from that as well. F from your perspective, is there any like little extracurriculum activities or any any other resource that resources that you would recommend for students to consider when thinking about that type of profession i, I yeah it, it's if you don't like working with people it's probably not the profession for you yeah um because there is and it's interesting too when now being on the other side and and talking to students about doing group work, which everyone hates doing um but it's the reality of what we do because you can't you, the idea of this lone genius sitting in a tower, sort of scattering bits of drawings of genius, um, just just doesn't happen. And you, there is that element of needing to be able to communicate with the other members of your design team. So you need to 
talk with um, engineers, you need to talk with um, other consultants who help you get your project to be what you want it to be. Mm. Um, and then also having those conversations with the people who supply materials, talking to the people who are actually going to build things, the things that you learn from, um, you know, cabinet makers, um, the people who cut stone are fascinating. Um, mm. and, and, and having those relationships and being able to talk to people is, um, but also doing it without, um, being a jerk, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How do I absolutely. say that politely? Because, um, no. um, like, one of the things, so I teach um, architectural practice and construction, and particularly with my practice unit, um, the number of people who have very adversarial um, relationships, I, I'm surprised that they actually get anything built because you really do need to do that as a team. And if you've got, um, yeah, it's 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 um yeah it's those linking of relationships because if you want your project built the way that you want, you need to be able to get that team together, and I suppose those skills are transferable across many um, professions where you do um, have complex projects, whether it's you know managing teams in hospitals, whether it's um, you know getting people to teach in schools. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it is about sort of organising relationships, but also understanding sort of the hierarchies and where the pressure points are and pain points and, um, yeah, and understanding sort of the network of things. Yeah, yeah, great, great summary. I think, and, and let me frame this before I ask, ask this question, mm-hmm. my architecture knowledge is, is quite limited, but I, I would imagine that one of the joys of being an architect is, is, you know, being able to capture a space and capture light for the client to make it like an inspiring space to mm-hmm. be in. Can you share any more insights around what are some of the things that you truly enjoyed about your, your craft as, as, as an architect, as well as uh, where you are now as a, as a lecturer? Yeah. Academic? Um, oh, it's, there's, there's nothing better than seeing something that you've designed um, whether it's a piece of furniture um, or whether it's a space. And it's interesting because, um, like, <laughs> and it also comes back to um, some, the teaching, people think differently. And so some people are able to visualise three-dimensional space and other people don't. You could possibly learn it, how to do that. Um, and I've had students that I've taught over the years where we talk about plan sections and elevations and they just don't get it but they really want to be involved with um, the architectural um, profession but then it's a matter of finding how how they actually can do that because it's yeah we just people just think differently some people can look at an, at an equation and go oh I understand that and other people just look at it and go oh my god what is that thing um, and so you know it's just the way that we are and um and the number of clients that we've had where they can they'll look at the plans and you'll show them plans and sections you'll make models then they'll walk into the final project and go oh it's not at all what i thought it was going to look like (laughs) and you think well what do you think i was showing you um but but yeah there is on one hand there's that that satisfaction of seeing things built um and particularly when you've got really um, great um, builders and people like, yeah, there's builders who 
you just you just love continuing to work with because the level of of craft that they have um, is just fantastic, and you know that um, they will they will ask the right questions. Um, and even though you, it was one builder, I was doing a project in Williamstown, and it was hilarious because anything that had gone wrong with that project went wrong. Um, we had it was just an extension to a house, a restoration to a, a cottage, and the people who had lived in there previously had bred dogs and had obviously buried them in the backyard. And so when we were excavating, it was like pet cemetery or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> was, and I mean, it was great to be working with people who had a sense of humor about this. Um, but <laughs> it's um, yeah, long conversations about design decisions because there'll, there would be a discussion about, um, I mean, even if it's just sort of architraves and you know, why we're doing it one way and not another, and just to be able to have a conversation about something that's so trivial, but it does have an impact on how that space um, looks like afterwards. So it is, um, but on the other hand, it takes a long time to be able to appreciate those spaces because the other thing that you're doing as you're going through is looking for defects and things that have need to be fixed. And so when you're focused on that, it's really hard to see how, um, because you're always looking for, you know, is there a crack there? Is a paint that needs to be fixed? That door handle has the, not um, at the right angle. There's a crack in some glasswork and things like that. So you're always looking for the mistakes um, and trying to sort of correct those things. So that also has a weird um, influence on how you sort of look at your own work as well. But it is, yeah, it's so much fun. It's really, it's it's great to um to think of something that you've thought of, thought about usually at three o'clock in the morning because that's the only time your brain has to to do that but then the, the each design decision um then leads to something that you know someone really enjoys and and um living in totally i, I must ask you do you find when you go to your friends houses or, or family members houses where you, you're scanning and you're looking for those <laughs> um, design <not> forms? So <laughs> Oh, actually, the worst one I ever did was, and this this also had a, that had sort of a direction on some of the projects I then took up. Um, for t over 10 years, I had redesigned my parents' bathroom. Um, and yeah, they'd get different drawings, they would get different renders. And it wasn't until my stepfather had had a fall and then an occupational therapist came in, then they redesigned the bathroom. And it's like, it looks like a hospital and it's like everything that we had put in had those features to it so then I got involved with um some of the occupational therapists at Swinburne when I was still there and said right we're going to <laughs> to talk about this um and yeah and then since um we had a lot because we were the faculty of health arts and design there we had a lot to do with the health sector and now with moving to Melbourne, um, there's still a lot of work that we do with, um, particularly with um, universal housing, universal access. So. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. And from your perspective, would you, you know, jump back in a time machine and go back to your time at McRobb as a student? <laughs> would, you, would you do anything differently? Oh, yes. <laughs> what I would do. To, well, on one hand, um, 
you know, I don't think I would change the direction of what I've done. Um, but I think, yeah, I, and I, it's interesting. Um, sorry, I still have a number of friends that I have from high school. And yeah, I think there's that, there's a lot of pressure to, and I don't know whether it's changed with the VCE system now, um, but then it was very much, well, this is that this choice will determine your whole life mm. and the stress and the pressure that you put on yourself thinking, you know, I have to, I have to make this decision at 17 or 16, 18 um, is, yeah, I, I would probably just tell myself to relax a little bit more because if I finish my degree at 21 or 25, it really doesn't make a difference and that you know and if i change my mind then that's okay mm. so um yeah i because i think particularly particularly in year 12 when it's it's more the stress that you put on yourself rather than what it is you're actually doing because it's like this is my final year this th everything is based on this is not actually true mm. um and that there are like if if you, if you've decided what you want to do, then there are lots of ways of getting there. It's not necessarily always the direct path. But then the other hand is if if you don't know what you want to do, that's kind of okay too because you you do have time, and um, yeah, and then working your way through education doesn't necessarily have to be. I've just got to finish everything straight away. It's um it can be more of a journey rather than a sort of express lane yeah great great summary great summary and because i see that you you you've gone back and and completed further study as well yourself can you yeah. shed some light around um the phd that, yeah that process <laughs> how was that oh it was awful um, <laughs> well it's it's interesting um because now i've got a number of phd students and i guess it's also the reason why are you doing this um, and, and there are lots of different reasons that people do these. So one is, um, so to, to basically to, to work in a university and to have a grab at a tenured position, um, you need to have a PhD. That's the end of the story. And I had made that decision. Um, we'd, we'd done, we done a lot of work overseas. And when I came back to Australia, we'd been in Vietnam on and off for about four or five years. And because we were doing um, a project there for RMIT. I, I just didn't feel that there was much of a challenge anymore and I really was interested in doing more research. And so I started doing a master's and then did a PhD. Um, there's, I suppose there's a difference. So there's, the, there's a professional master's and those things that you need um, to, to be in your career. So with architecture, there is a master of architecture that you need to do. And without that, you can't then sit registration exams. Um, and there are a number of accredited courses, like if you want to be an urban planner, where you need to do that. Um, there are other things like if you do interior architecture, you don't need to do a master's to be able to call yourself an interior designer. But yeah, so a PhD um, is something that if you want to be a full-time academic you have to do um, then there are other people who will often so I have a number of international students who are doing that because of um, PR mm -hmm. and 
that's a really tough way to mm. to get PR, but it's um it, it all comes down to how many um how many years of education that you need to do. It's it's not necessarily a guarantee that you will get into academia, and academia has changed a lot. Mm. Um, so with architecture, I remember when I first started my PhD, the dean at the time said your industry experience is completely irrelevant and it all comes down to what it is that you're doing with your PhD. And it was, that, that was actually quite hard because it sort of then discounted 20 years of what I had done. Mm. Um, but I've since found that he was wrong and I was right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, um, it, it becomes sort of uh, a valuable tool to be able to sort of then draw back on that. And then, then I find that, you know, now that's sort of the, the day-to-day of the way that I teach is sort of bringing back those experiences mm. and be able to sort of say, well, you know, this is how you do it, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point and, and probably a, um, a topic for a, another um, episode, but um, that notion of industry experience and how important that is in terms of, of education, not only for um, your own perspective of what you want to pursue, but also mm. teaching others the craft as well. If we could just um, jump back on the topic of you were saying around, because I think a lot of students have perhaps a misunderstanding around how to become a qualified architect these days sure. and, and the yeah. difference between um, being an architect versus um, a interior designer versus a draftsperson mm. versus an urban planner. If you could, if you could just yeah. shed some light on, on those areas, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, this is a funny one. Um, for a number of years, I headed up the interior architecture course at Swinburne and the, it's um, so that's, that's a four year course. So it has an embedded masters uh, embedded honors year into that. Um, in many ways, what an interior architect does uh, or interior designer but you do architecture um, and what an architect does can be very similar and so a lot of the things that I was doing in practice was I did I did lots of interiors because there was a there was a complexity to that in detailing that fitted what I like doing um, so yeah so essentially that they are they are doing very very similar things However, um, so to practice, so to do, yeah, you can do interior and that's, yeah, four years. Architecture is different. So if you want to, and you don't have to register as an architect, it just allows you to legally call yourself an architect. So it's a protected title under the Architects Act of 1992. Um, And and there's just been recent changes. Anyway, um, you can tell I teach this. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. um, so you can do your undergraduate degree um, anywhere, but it's the master's degree that um, gives you the ability to then be able to go down that architectural path. There are a number of people who don't finish their um, their master's degree, and so they can work as an architectural draftsperson. So what not to to call yourself legally an architect, you will have finished your master's degree professional degree so it'll be a master's of architecture somewhere Um, then you will start to have um, you'll get a job which is interesting right now Um, then you do it's about um, 3,000 hours of work experience some of that can be done while you're studying 
up to about 50, up to 50%, and then the rest can be done afterwards. Then you go through the registration process. So you have to produce a logbook to say, um, this is the range of experience that I have. Then once that's been approved, you then sit a, an online exam, which is a multiple choice piece of fun. And then once you've passed that, then you get to sit in a room with someone like me, because I'm a, um, an examiner for the um, Architects Registration Board, and we talk about your experience. And what we, what we, and this is also an, an interesting thing because there's changes in the construction industry at the moment, which particularly with very large projects, um, architects aren't necessarily involved with contract administration. And because that's also part of the competencies that we are looking for as part of the registration package. It's, um, yeah, there's some really interesting changes and so that's sort of some of the research that I'm doing with the university, looking at things like Novation and um, which is, yeah, sort of a con contractual thing, but the impact of that contract that it has on the much broader practice of architecture is really quite fascinating. It probably sounds really, really boring, <laughs> but, but to me, I'm just like, oh, and then there's all these sort of the possibility of change. Um, which is something else that um, that I'm really interested in because the profession is changing, um, like academia is changing as well, um, with the sort of the look at universities being much more reliant on on students and um, particularly international students mm. rather than government funding, which um, is becoming less and less by the day. Mm. So I've yeah. just added 50 things in there. <laughs> no, that's good. I think it's, you know, I think it's relevant to the young people who will be listening to the, the episode around their decision-making of courses, pathways, industry experience. Um, and again, I think subscribing to that notion of being a lifetime learner um, yeah. and embracing short courses, you know, Absolutely. articles, newsletters, podcasts, whatever it is to Absolutely. continue that engagement. Yeah, and to be engaged with, I mean, if you found something that you're passionate about, continue to be engaged with it um, and, and with the profession and the practice of that. Um, and I think that's one, of, that's one of the challenges we have teaching architecture because everyone's like, oh, but I'm going to be a designer and it's going to be great. And if you have your own practice, being a designer is about 5% of, of what you will ever do. The rest is sort of managing your business and... Um, yeah, and documenting and and making sure that that five percent then becomes something else. But it is, um, yeah, it is very fluid at the moment. And while I think the profession will still continue to exist, um, which is always useful, particularly when you're teaching it, um, is that um yeah it's it it will it will be different but then it's always it but it, then it's always been changing mm. um and it's it's also yeah whether it's architecture or education i guess a lot of industries are going through this at the moment where you know some things are being automated but then on the other hand we're finding that you know that there are that only sort of works in in particular circumstances and i'm thinking more about sort of 3d printing and robots and stuff like that. Um, the robots aren't going to save us. And, and so Kirsten, 
we like to ask all of our guests one last question around what would be some parting advice that you would give to any student or young person who's hoping to make it in the design field? Yes. Okay. If you've got, if you've got a very clear idea of what you want to do, that's great. Pursue it. Um, if you don't, um, that's fine because there are lots of areas in design. So, and, and often the, they will overlap. So whether you do architecture or whether you do interiors or whether you do industrial design, whether it's communication design or user experience, often, often these will overlap. And so you might sort of start in one and end up in another. And so even as an architect, I was doing lots of interiors, but then I was doing lots of things with uh, friends who were doing user experience. Um, I had great, great collaborations with friends who were doing industrial design. So whether it's sort of furniture or designing lighting or those types of things, there's, there is more of a trend towards um, multidisciplinary practice now. So often it's not just I do architecture and that's it. Mm. It will be, well, we can do a whole range of things. And so, and they, they're also really great environments and there's, there's a number of um, smaller practices that are now sort of starting who do those things. Um, so it's not sort of, you know, the, the straight, like this is architecture, this is engineering, this is, and, it, and it's, it's in those sort of, those liminal, those spaces in between that, that you have a lot of fun. Mm. That's really, I think that's a really nice point to end on around that notion of if you're going into a field, it's so important no matter what field you decide to be curious around what else is uh, i suppose branches of the main area that you're interested in oh absolutely because i mean i didn't even know that industrial designers existed um that that was even an option and so and i think one of the things that's been great with um with now sort of being on the other side of of the university and to see what those connections are and those abilities to move. Um, yeah, it would have been great to have known all of that in year 12. Um, but on the other, I mean, but also, you know, the university system has changed a lot. Um, and the other thing too is if everything goes really bad, there are other ways, um, you know, there, there are, TAFE courses, there are, um, there's like, I know Swinburne have a Unilink course. Mm. So even if, you know, you get glandular fever, your cat dies, your brain just goes on a hiatus, or we get the plague, like COVID, um, it's, it's not, if, if everything goes bad, it's not the end of the world. Mm. And so that there is, there are a number of pathways um, and it's much more flexible to be able to, to do what you want. It's, I think the decision is actually just finding a path that you mm. want to go on and yeah. And where you start and where you end up, you know, 20 years later <laughs> could be two very different um, spaces and, and change isn't a bad thing. It's just being prepared for it. Mm, well said well kirsten thank you so much for coming on um really appreciate it and how can students get in touch with you if they want to reach out or, or learn more um well they can contact me via emails probably the easiest so um they can catch me at dayk at unimelb.edu.au 
um, that's sort of, yeah, that email works the best. Um, otherwise, they can find me on, there's a, there's a find an expert page for Melbourne Uni, so I'll be there, um, or I'm on LinkedIn, so. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend, classmate, or even a family member who you think will benefit so we can help even more individuals develop a meaningful career. Thank you.